Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of The Roots Podcast. As always, I am Carter Spires, here with my co-host, Matthew Bartlett, the founder and managing editor of The Roost, your premier source for Rice Sports news and analysis. All right, well, we are back this week with a mailbag episode. Uh, we got some of your questions in, some from Patreon, some from Twitter, and we're going to go through some of those topics here from, from defensive positions in the spring to conference affiliation to uh, tacos. So we got a healthy sample. Yeah, I'm excited. Yeah, yeah, it's quite the variety here. But yeah, we'll 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 take care of some housekeeping stuff and a a quick news item before we get into that. Yeah, I at least I I'm I always go back to where we were at this point last year, just begging that we could have some sort of sport and of anything to talk about, and uh, <laughs> we do. So we have a we have those news items that we will get to, and want to remind you uh, if you're not subscribing at the moment. Uh, on our Patreon, uh, I'm going to plug that again. You should. We have all the spring ball uh, last, the last spring ball recap piece that went up last week was about the quarterback battle, which will continue on through the spring into the fall. It, it, uh, stop me if you've heard this before, Carter. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so you want to go check that out. We'll have uh, stuff going on throughout the off season, uh, of course, recruiting and and everything of the like. So make sure you're subscribed there. And I think that's it for the plugs. And then we have a, a new head coach at Rice that was just introduced. Yeah, uh, the athletic department and Joe Colgrod have moved uh, pretty quickly and decisively on, on getting a new women's basketball coach. It's uh, Lindsay Edmonds, formerly of a, uh, an assistant coaching position at North, at North Carolina State, I believe. Um, and... You know, I would say I'm pretty optimistic about it. She kind of fits the same profile uh, that Tina Langley had before uh, she came to Rice and that she was a longtime assistant at a, a very successful Power 5 program. NC State has had, uh, what, like three Sweet, Sweet 16 appearances in the last couple tournaments. They've uh, She's coached WNBA draft picks. Um, it's very much a, a, you know, going back to the well that worked before um, and... There's always <laughs> coaching hires are always kind of a crapshoot no matter what, but uh, you can see the thought process behind the hires. She, she seems like a great candidate, so um, it's going to be hard to replicate the success that that Langley had here. Uh, that was uh, an extremely high bar, and I don't know if that's the one by which we want to judge <laughs> Edmund, Edmonds, but I I think it's a good solid hire. Yeah, as far as I, and I'm going to admit, I wouldn't be the one to give a fair assessment of what coaching pools would be available for college women's basketball or college basketball or maybe even college football for, for that matter. <laughs> but uh, so, so on, on that disclaimer, uh, it, it was interesting. She, she did mention that she knew Langley from her time when Langley was at, at Maryland. So there's uh, actually somewhat of a, uh, a, a connection to, to that point, and and like you mentioned, the NC State, I believe they were a, a one seed in the women's tournament this year, and they got knocked out by Iowa. I think it was Iowa, Wisconsin. I don't know somebody, uh, but a couple of Sweet Sixteen runs, and I gotta say that it, it might have worked out. You never really know with the hiring cycle, right? But Typically, this was very, very late. Rice is hiring a coach mm -hmm. in mid-April. Uh, usually the basketball season wraps up in mid-March and coaches are hired by April. So with with Langley moving to Washington, 
at the end of that cycle, you know, it's possible that with Rice looking after NC State had been eliminated from the tournament, that actually set up this connection, whereas roll forward to Edmonds coaching, Edmonds looking into coaching for the tournament, this might not have been, you know, a connection that might have lined up. So you got to at least think that there was maybe some good fortune on that front, because like you said, as far as an assistant goes, there's not much more you could have asked on her her resume, so to speak. Yeah. Um, And obviously job number one for her right now is is re-recruiting the talent she's got on the roster. Um, Even if uh, I I don't think there have been any further uh, news developments about Nancy since she entered the portal, correct me if I'm wrong. And I'm not sure whether she uh, or if it's, if it is even known whether she is, is keeping her option open to come back to rice. But uh, even if she does ultimately decide to go somewhere else, there's still a a pre real base of talent on this roster. Um, And so, so, you know, selling her own style and and selling the program back to the the players that are currently on the roster is kind of job number one here. And if she does that, then you know she's got a pretty solid base for next year. Yeah, the the conversation that I had with her was was pretty interesting when when discussing that because on one front we kind of when discussing what her brand of of basketball looks like she mentioned uh, tempo and pushing the pace on offense and i was like oh really because if you watched any rice women basketball in the last six years how how long was tina here i'm i'm blanking uh, five years yeah i think five maybe six should probably know but i want to say five one ncaa tournament one uh one wbi NIT. one nit yeah. and one blank and one year before that, so five. I think that's yeah, my answer. That's right. Um, but anyhow, yeah, talking with with Edmonds, she mentioned that there's going to be a probably probably more of an aggressive style uh, of play on offense, which is is going to be it's going to be fun. Uh, the the offense that was uh, that Langley ran was more of a, a ball control and, and milk the clock. When you play that good of a defense and you have Nancy Mulkey, it, it, it works. So yeah. we we will see a probably a little bit of a shift there. Uh, on that front so uh, that that's going to be interesting to just kind of follow as as we get onto the court and, and then on on Mulkey it's uh it, you know there hasn't been any any news released publicly I know she's also looking at at going to OT school and kind of con- pursuing a, a different educational route that that Rice doesn't offer so that could be a piece of the puzzle. I, you know, I mean, frankly, that makes I, a lot of sense. Yeah. Yeah. And, and she's she's earned her degree and, and kind of can. We've had this discussion, the, the Rice athletic degree mandate discussion, I think, on the last episode, didn't we? Or the one before? Maybe. Yeah. So we'll see that I, I would. There's not a coach in the world that if Nancy Mulkey said, I would like to come play for you, would say, no, we're good. So <laughs> I would say yep. that's very much so still uh, in the mix. But, yeah, she mentioned first things first, getting to uh, work with those girls already in the locker room and build those relationships. And and I'm I'm optimistic. Like you said, I, I think if you would have said, you know, the standard here is you win. I think she Langley won 49 of 54 conference games of the last three seasons. I don't think there's a coach in America who you could have hired 
in any program. You bring Gino in here, and I don't think he's winning 49 out of 54. Maybe that's a, a hot take, but that's <laughs> that's really hard to do. Yeah, that, so, that is an incredible bar to set. But yeah, but I, th- I think the the infrastructure and the talent already on the roster, this is still a team that's going to be really good, e- even if somebody else is at the helm. Definitely. So uh, let's get it. Let's uh, let's let's pop open the mailbag here. All right. Which one first? Ooh, um, let's 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 go off the the synergy from that announcement, and uh, we have a we have a question that can uh, maybe dovetail from the success of uh, the women's basketball program. Oh, there you go. Okay, I'll pop it out first. Uh, thank you to Barry on Patreon for throwing this one in. So he said, "What? what why doesn't Rice use its great success in, in women's sports as a springboard to join a better conference? Big 12, ACC. Uh, should the AD president start thinking outside the box to improve its sports standing in the NCAA? Yeah. So here's the thing. You joining another conference, particularly one that is a, a step above in in um in in station and uh, uh financial uh financial uh impact than yours is, it's not something you can just do, right? It's not like rice presses the apply to big 12 button and fills out the form with all of its credentials. And if you meet a certain threshold, they have to let you in. It, it takes two to tango here. Right. And the foundation of modern athletic conferences, particularly the big ones are weird conglomerations of things that are historical oddities, um, which results in why some of rice's, uh, academic peer institutions are in those conferences now. But the foundation of what keeps those conferences together now is money and and pretty much nothing. But and specifically TV money that is driven by foot by football and by men's basketball. And that's kind of the cold, hard reality of it. Um, And that's and that's an important note that it's TV money because Rice has some money. And I think that maybe the misconception is that if you just throw money at people, that that you can you can get a seat at the table and that that doesn't hurt your cause but but it's not enough on its own to say hey we have a large endowment there's a lot of money here inside the the university's coffers like let us in yes and the like on that subject what lets these schools that have these incredible facilities and huge budgets and that pay their coaches exorbitant salaries what lets them do like that's not coming out of their endowment like the schools in general kind of aren't doing that. Like compare the, you know, the endowments of Alabama and Harvard. Um, there is, there is no comparison there. Compare the athletic budgets of those schools. Uh, no comparison, but in the other direction. And where that money comes from is boosters, is alumni and fans who are so invested in the athletic success of a program that they will spend tens and tens of thousands up to hundreds of thousands, even individually to make those things happen. So it doesn't really matter that Rice's endowment. And actually like we have another question about conference USA cities where I have 
the Wikipedia article about Conference USA up, and I'm looking at the list so I can see the cities, but also there's a column in there for endowment. And if you compare Rice's to the other schools in CUSA, it is comical, the difference. But that's not an athletic budget. Nobody spends that money on athletics. That money comes in large part from athletic revenue and from donations and sometimes from student fees. More more from student fees at, at places in CUSA than at, at some of the bigger schools. But Oh, my word. I just saw it. Rice's endowment is 10 times the next cl- closest largest endowment in their conference. More than, yes. And th- and that next one is is UAB <laughs> and all that money is is the University of Alabama Medical School. That's not like UAB undergraduate programs. That's that's, that's oh, wow. the med school. That's so you're talking money. 20 times Old Dominion is next on the list. That's crazy. Yeah. So yes, Rice has the monies. It's a but- gap. But not but not, not the money that you use on athletics. And like, right. like an endowment is not just, I think a lot of people misunderstand what an endowment is. An endowment is not just like a bank account that you spend money out of willingly. It's like an investment portfolio. And sometimes colleges will, they will make transactions with those. And I am not an expert on this, but like they will make transactions with those endowments that allow them to pay for certain things if they want to. But like, by and large, those, that money does not just like, get spent you know, yeah it's and, it's not like will you add, need a new building you spell up you sell off a hundred million dollars of stock and then you you know you do this like it's it doesn't work like that like universities run on the dividends that they get from those endowments that's a big thing but like it's not it's not just like rice has six billion dollars on hand that it could just drop 500 million of that into athletics if they wanted to it doesn't work that way which would be fun That'd be really oh, I'd love it. <laughs> let's let's divest some of that oil money and spend a whole <laughs> spend a whole lot of it on on athletics. I'm I'm way into that. Let's do it. We'll go get sleep pods in the locker room. That's the the our slide <laughs> or a flight simulator like Auburn has now. Wait, Auburn has a flight? What? Yeah. Do what, do eighteen year old college football players want a flight simulator? What does that do? Like, I, I, I get it. Like, you have this budget. You are not allowed to, like, pay players with it. Eventually, you, you just start spending it on bells and whistles. But, like, flight a flight simulator? Yeah. So like, I will I add, know, man. Matt Brown does, he runs a, a newsletter on, I guess it was on Substack. It's transitioning elsewhere now. But yeah. he wrote last extra year. Extra points, yeah. He wrote last year a a newsletter about... Uh, the college endowment what it is and, and how it works and so if you uh, if you want a better explanation of why rice can't just take all its money and fund football uh, I just go google matt brown college endowment and, and you'll find it excellent article kind of talked with an expert on the matter so uh, on that front uh, yeah the, the endowment doesn't work and that, that is way. there are two matt browns that cover college football this you, you, you want to look up extra points the newsletter because that's where you look at if you're interested in that at all the like the sort of the business and economics and how how athletic departments and schools function together at literally all levels of college football i mean we're talking he does stuff from from division one and fbs all the way down to like division three and naia um matt is an extremely good follow for that and and i would heartily recommend extra points because because he is is the big source on a lot of this stuff but yeah yeah he wrote a this is a complete tangent but we're good at that he had a newsletter (laughs) earlier this week about hartford um and their decision of of whether or not to be d1 in athletics anymore and he kind of dug into the you know all the 
nits and nats behind that. So yeah, if you want kind of the uh, the inside baseball of of college athletics, uh, that's fantastic. Uh, you can learn. I don't. I haven't even. We'll, we'll go reach out to them and tell them we're plugging extra points. It's fantastic. <laughs> um, but 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 with that, so. Uh, one piece is, is the money that Rice has, I'm doing air quotes right now, can't just be readily uh, spent to, to go and do that. And then the second thing is the ultimate currency in college athletics is, yeah, the, the media market and, and that, that revenue share is a big piece. But, but it's, it's the, your success on the field in college football and college basketball. And then that might not be. Uh, fair or, or equal or however we want to spin it, but I can't think of any university that has made a major a, a step change shift, a, a Conference USA to Big 12 jump because they had a very successful women's basketball program or baseball program or, or, tra- or track program track or, or any, any sport Hockey. besides. Yeah. Hockey is a big one too, but like there are schools that are D one in hockey and D three and everything else. Yep. So I think that's an important note. If you look the kind of the blueprint for a a rice to get to the next level uh, is TCU and Utah. Those are basically the only two schools that have navigated the gap from being in that the not power five tier to making that jump, and they both did it. Uh, Utah through Urban Meyer and Alex Smith and having an incredible football program and being in the right place at the right time when the Pac-12, or what were they? I guess that was it. Just the Pac, was it Pac-10? It was the Pac-10 before, or was it yeah. just the Pac? The Pac-8, right? And then they it was added, originally the Pac-8. It was the Pac-10 at that time. They added Colorado, yeah. and Utah. Yeah. Okay. So they were they were in the right. They were the only conference that has iter- iteratively kept their number. Yeah, of schools. So yeah, Utah was in the right place at the right time. The same thing for TCU. They just went gangbusters and won 10, 11 games. And they had, uh, who did they play in the Big Bowl? You know what I'm talking about. Uh, Wisconsin? Um, yeah, Wisconsin. Yeah. That was their biggest one. Well, and they beat they beat Boise State at like at peak Boise State in uh, like a Fiesta Bowl, which is a great game. Like that was when Andy Dalton was at TCU. Um, and, but Boise State is another great example here is because sometimes being great is not enough. Like Boise State has been a premier program in college football for 20 years. And even through all these rounds of realignment that have happened in that time, they have not moved up. They, I mean, they moved up from the WAC to the Mountain West, but like they didn't get an invite to the back 12, um, which just goes to like, you know, and, and you can say this was a miscalculation and it probably was. But why do you think Rutgers ended up in the Big Ten? You know, why do you think these schools ended up where they are in these rounds of realignment? It's because conferences thought that they could bring in new media markets and get more eyeballs and get more money on their TV deals. And that's that's what drives all of this. And the problem for Rice on that front is that even if we had the successful programs in the the big the most prominent sports, the sports that 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 bring in that money. Uh, Rice is is tiny, like we have so few alumni, we have so few fans that are not alumni that like. Us coming to a power five conference 
doesn't bring them a whole lot in terms of TV eyeballs. And, you know, you can and rage against that, think it's unfair, but like... We already have a case study for this. That's the yeah. thing. When the, the Big 12 expansion came around, or I guess lack thereof expansion came around, I guess this would have been in 2018? Was that the last round, 2019? I think so, like yeah, when yeah. there was all that rumor about it. Yeah, it, the, the top kind of like front runners at that time were among, maybe not front runners, but in the conversation, uh, Houston was one of the teams in the mix, or at least that believe they were in the mix, along with, I think, Cincinnati and UCF, kind of the, the upper tier right now of the American. And Houston didn't get an invite, and some of the scuttle of, of reasons why was the the big 12 saying well we 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 don't really need the the houston market we we have texas and and they basically encapsulate houston and san antonio and everywhere all over texas we don't we we, we're we're covered we're there and uh so rice does not bring a bigger media footprint than than the university of houston would and then that's one and the acc uh, outside of not being Who's the furthest Western ACC school? Uh, Louisville, maybe. Maybe. Yeah, outside of being out of the geographic footprint. uh, I just it doesn't make a bunch of a bunch of sense on on that front. And then there's the front that you have your, you know, your your Dukes and your your Georgia Techs. And you have the if Rice is going to play that we're going to raise your academic standard they they do have that to bring, but the ACC really has that filled to a greater degree already than the Big Twelve would. So yeah. that's it's so. And I I will say this from conversations I have had, Rice is not unaware that Conference USA is not the greatest place in the world, and they are not sitting blindly on their hands, you know, just content to be where they are. But at the same time. Uh, there's not much they can do other than be as successful as you possibly can. And you, you need to be in the right place at the right time and you need to look attractive. And Rice is not going to get that, you know, (laughs) long weighted invitation if they're not winning games. And so that's something Rice can, can fix and can control. And you can certainly debate whether or not they're doing the best job on that front that that's a question but at the end of the day we've seen houston and and right. we've seen a lot of other schools do everything right boise i thought you brought up great example and it, it, it wasn't enough build it building great programs is kind of the only thing you can do and that is not always enough in fact i would say very often it's not enough it is just one component and and you know you need the opportunity and the timing and that stuff is really hard to come by so um i mean i once had a a relatively a pretty high ranking member of the rice athletic department tell me directly that their goal was for rice or this person's personal goal was for rice to end up in a power five conference and i like that thinking i like that motivation i i like operating as for that to be the standard that you want to achieve. But if they ever get there, um, it's going to take decades of sustained excellence, honestly. Yeah. And 
we maybe if we get too much further into the offseason, we we can make our dream realignments. Go go pull the <laughs> the Southwestern Conference back together. But that's probably uh, that's probably enough on that front. And we can uh, move on to the next one. Yeah. Um, I don't know. What are you feeling next? Uh, I'm thinking we just uh, skip through to the next one in order. All right, let's do it. So we uh, got you, me, both. We probably can't <laughs> both read it together. Acapella, that would be challenging. Yeah, you go ahead. All right. Uh, Blazer Victory Pod on Twitter. We're getting back to actually on the football field here for Rice. Who's stepping in to help fill the loss of Blaze Aldridge? Did anyone stand out this spring? Blazer Victory Pod, you should go subscribe on Patreon. And <laughs> I'm I'm joking in jest, but that's a that's a fair question. And I think it kind of dovetails into maybe a larger conversation of, of how we're feeling about the defense as a whole after the spring. Is that fair? Yeah. Um, so the obvious answer here um, is Antonio Montero. I mean, he's been a starter for the better part of three years now um, and is one of the most experienced players on a defense that is full of experience. Um, he had is a really he the most team. underrated linebacker in conference USA. Uh, He's a three year starter that I don't think has ever had a mention on any all conference anything. Yeah. I mean, a guy who impressed me from the very first moment I saw him in that, that first season. So yeah, I, I would say he's up there. Um, but he'll be kind of the captain in the middle of that defense. Uh, he had a really good spring. So um, he's he, it, you know, if you're going to single out one guy, it's him. If you're looking for actually replacing Blaze at that will linebacker spot, um, as anyone who has uh, followed on Patreon knows, anyone that's been, that's been following Matt's coverage knows, it's it's looking like a battle between Myron Morrison and Desmond Baker, the JUCO transfer at this point. Um I think the staff in general probably feels pretty good about the linebacker position. Even, you know, you don't get better by replace by replacing a player, a player of Blaze's caliber, but they have a lot of depth there. And I think they have a lot of guys that they feel pretty good about. Yeah. Uh, Garen Hargan is another guy that I know the staff is, is really high on. And I got nicked up at the end of the spring, so didn't play in, in the spring game. And he was a guy who in, in high school, I don't remember if I shared this story on the pod or not, but I believe it was an ACL, uh, had some sort of, of, of leg injury uh, yeah. during a football game and kept playing on it and had a fumble forced out at midfield, picked it up and sprinted the length of the field and scored a defensive touchdown. And after that, he came to the side. He's like, man. I don't feel so hot, coach. And that's when he found out that uh, <laughs> he had a severe injury and had to get shut down for the year. But that's how tough this guy is. He's like, uh, ACL, I don't need it. I can go score defensive touchdowns, which which is a plus. So I, I think we'll see more of him. I think depending on how things go, we might see a little bit more of a rotation this year at linebacker than we have in the past. Just because when you have Blaze and Montero, you don't need to rotate. Yeah. And I I would be interested to see what the snap count was on Blaze's last season. I doubt he ever came off the football field. Probably not at all. Uh, yeah. So so Myron has kind of been he started out in front with Desmond coming in from Juco. And then kind of as the spring progressed, I, I think there was a kind of a, a growing sense of confidence 
from from Desmond. But I think at the moment through spring, it's probably Myron and then Desmond at, at that spot. But we could see, and I've I've joked about this with the staff before. But whatever pixie dust they're sprinkling on junior college players, <laughs> they need to keep doing because I I yeah, think seriously. You could argue that having a 50% success rate with like you find a guy and he's a quality player for your football team at Juco, that's good. Rice is batting like like 750 on like that's it's a pretty good percentage on the uh on the we Juco have to guys. go through the list, but like Miles McCord, Blaze Aldridge, Brad Rosner, Naeem Smith, Smith, yep, like. There's been a, a couple other guys, uh, Jaron Banks at, at linebacker. He was a Juco guy that came in last year and, and could be one of the guys in the mix this year. It's it's crazy. So, yeah, that's the answer. Probably one of those two guys. Uh, if I had a bet, it's probably Myron right now. But I'm I'm not too worried on that. front. Yeah. Um, and as far as in a in a broader sense of kind of replacing blaze generally and not merely just like at the linebacker position i you're not going to do it with one guy obviously um you're kind of going to need several kind of areas of the defense to step up um you're definitely going to need more pass rush i think from your actual sort of pass rush positions to kind of replace what he could give you as a blitzer and sometimes as a guy that they put with his hand in the dirt but um just in terms of of um havoc plays as as bill c puts it um they're going to need the guys at the more traditional pass rush positions to step up. Uh, Keeper and Page at edge is is a guy that that you've singled out as having a good spring. Um, you know, you're going to need Viper is always going to be kind of a playmaking position on this decent defense. So you're going to need. Um, I don't know if you can say more from from uh, from Trishon Chamberlain, because he's certainly given you plenty over the last couple of years. But, uh, you know, he'll he'll kind of take up some of that slack, I think so. It's it's going to be kind of a, a team effort, and I think uh, they'll you'll hopefully see some guys step up to sort of replace that that havoc production that he gave you. Yeah, and it might sound a bit too nonchalant to say I'm not concerned, but but I'm I'm not, <laughs> which is crazy to think of when you're losing a player as as talented as Blaze. Obviously, I would prefer much prefer if for Rice's sake if he was on the field at South Main next year but what Brian Smith has done so far with his defense and the depth they have all over all across the board Rice is going to be just fine at linebacker and on the defense as a whole I don't think we're going to notice you might have a couple less big plays a game that would have really helped but you're not going to see a a significant step back in and what this unit was able to accomplish all right. Uh, well, our next question uh, comes from Eric Henry, our pal over at Underdog Dynasty, who has decided that he just wants to get us in trouble, I think, uh, <laughs> because he's asked to asked us to rank our top five CUSA cities outside of Houston. Uh, I, I'm going to leave this mostly to you, not because I, I feel like getting in trouble. I'm happy to take the heat on this, but also I think you've just been to more of these places than I have. But uh, I also have an an obvious bias here in the fact that uh, I am a native of Birmingham, Alabama. Uh, I think there is a real case for Birmingham. It is a really cool town. I think more so than a lot of people realize. Um, barbecue. How much does I'm, barbecue account for this ranking? If it's a big uh, fairly high. Yes. 
I mean, Evan Dudley would uh, at AL.com. He would he would argue he would get on the table for Birmingham barbecue. Yeah. Um, so that's, but, you know, that's, it's, it's it's a cool town. Like it's got a lot of um, I think it's added a lot of really cool stuff like in the city itself over the last decade plus without totally um, go, without like totally gentrifying the way some some city centers have lately. Um yeah, yeah, it's cool. We've got a cool young mayor who just pardoned like 15,000 uh, marijuana convictions on 420. Uh, so, so. Wait, did this? Wait, what? Oh, for real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, very oh, cool man. progressive criminal justice move. And also, um, yeah, little, little wink. Uh, shouts to Mayor Woodfin on that front. Um, for, for my, you know, I, I may not do like a rank top five here, but um, I think you have to have San Antonio really high here. San Antonio is just 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 a cool town. I think there's a lot there's a lot going for it. Um, I've heard good things about El Paso. I've never been to El Paso, but I, I, I feel like it's kind of the it's often kind of, of El Paso rave about El Paso. And that might be <laughs> the most loyal college town in Conference USA. Yeah. Um, like, like, no offense, but nobody from Denton is raving about how Denton is the greatest. No, like, I Denton, think so. Denton is fine. Like Dallas is fine. But nobody, nobody in North Texas is like, let me tell you about Denton. Honestly, by saying Dallas is fine, you've just said the nicest <laughs> thing that any Houstonian <laughs> has ever said about Dallas. So you're clearly going for the for good cop on this on this uh, <laughs> this ranking here. Uh, um, it's tricky it, 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 it kind of it's when you think college town that's another thing in this like you want to go like there's towns that are like university like for example florida national is in miami yeah miami's not a college town no there's a lot of people who love I, miami i'll, I'll give uh, yeah like i'll give eric here the the credit for saying top five cusa cities and not college town, because when you when you specify college towns, you do get into a lot of like I've seen people on like best college towns list like Austin. Austin is not. A, I don't care how big UT is. Austin <laughs> is not a college town. Like, come on. Yeah, like, it's funny because that's one of the the, the campuses that you've been to that you uh, I don't remember. I, you know, when you're walking, you walk off campus and then you get the next street over just heading west. Uh, I guess from the, the football stadium mm -hmm. and you get, you get one block over and you forget that a university exists and you're in Austin, which is it, like, it's Austin. It's, it's Austin is Austin. If you like Austin, you like Austin, but you, it's not a college town. This is true. Yeah. Like, um, like I adore yeah. Houston with all of my heart. I am obviously a very loyal alum of rice, but Houston is not a college town. So I am going to, I'm going to make everyone mad at the same time. And I'm going to say as a Texan and having been to San Antonio, that that's going to rank very highly. San Antonio is great. Uh, I have not personally been to El Paso. I've been very, very far to West Texas and, and not quite made it that far. But my El Pasoian, El, El Pasan, El Pasoian people uh, speak about that pretty highly. So I'm going to put I'm going to put San Antonio and El Paso both in there. I have dear friends not affiliated with the 49ers that that live and work in North Carolina, several of them, and they swear by Charlotte. And uh, in general, I think Charlotte has a, a pretty good r regard as a 
you know, an up and coming city that they host, I guess. Yeah. What, I think SEC Charlotte is objectively team? cool. No, what's there? I just sort of, I tend to view it as like, like, uh, I don't know. What if you took all the like corporate things about Atlanta and then sucked all the culture out of it? So wow. <laughs> I I kind of Shots like fired. I'm probably being unfair to Charlotte in that sense, but it uh, I don't know. Like. All right. Well, uh, I haven't I haven't been been so I'm 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 going to I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt there. So I'm going to say <laughs> San Antonio, El Paso, Charlotte. I will throw Birmingham in there because I yeah. have the Birmingham and I do like it very much. And that leaves me with four. And the fifth one is going to be, I've been to Miami. I'm not like a a huge Miami fan. Miami is definitely a, um, uh, you have to have a certain taste for it, I think. Can I, and we talked about this little, a little bit. By the way, like. FIU gets credit for being more or less Miami. You don't get that credit, Florida Atlantic. Boca Raton is not Miami. You are way too <laughs> Do far they from try? Miami. Dude, FIU brands I, themselves like we're Miami. Like it's a thing. Yeah, but uh, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna say if I can cheat and say Murfreesboro is close enough to Nashville to count, that would be that would be my. Fit. I mean, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if I would, but like, um. I don't, I've I, been I, I've been to Hattiesburg. I think Hattiesburg is kind of a nice as far as like actual college towns. It's because true. I, they probably them and Bowling Green. They would probably both be in the mix for true college. I think Ruston would too, but I, sorry, um, probably not going with Rusting. Yeah. I, okay. I, I said this before we started recording, but like on the list of college to, of of places. Cities in Louisiana that host FBS programs. Uh, uh, it's a very I'm, specific disclaimer. Yeah. Uh, Rustin would not be like high on my list. All right. So, so here's here's sorry, my five. sorry, Bulldogs and Lady Texters. I, yeah, I know. Here's my five. I'm going uh, bottom to top five. We're going with Charlotte. Four, we're going with Hattiesburg. Three, we're going with San Antonio. Two, we're going with El Paso. And one, we're going with Birmingham. That's my five. Log Perfect. it in. Love it. Uh, and if you disagree with that ranking, please direct all your complaints to <laughs> at Eric C. Henry <laughs> underscore on Twitter. That is our complaint line. And uh, all, all, all disputes will be received there. This is good. Please do. I hope he just has his Twitter blown up randomly when this comes out. <laughs> and has no idea what we're talking about. That would be great. All right, we'll go to the next one. We're going to circle over to recruiting. Mike, a subscriber on Patreon, he asks, is Rice recruiting any legacy kids? Why or why not? So you mentioned Rice having a a small alumni base a while ago. So I, I think it's probably safe to say that when Rice has... Uh, notable alumni that are successful and also have children that are successful. It, it's probably a very, very small pool that we're talking about. 
And yeah, I am pulling up my list. So right now, and I have a tracker up if you are curious and you want an updated list of everybody Rice has offered to this point uh, by class and, you know, have profile information, metrics, all that, all that kind of stuff. That's up as well uh, for subscribers. But so far, Rice has offered uh, DK Kalu. So obviously a, a legacy there. He's a 2023 uh, defensive tackle. 63270. He is on the list. He has been offered so far. And Rice has only actually offered three kids in the 2023 class. So that is one of them. And the other one is Javian Toviano. And he is the brother of Juma Otaviano. So I guess that's not, is that, that's technically not legacy or maybe? Yeah, close it, enough. Close enough. Tangential relationship there. He He is a, an athlete, uh, probably a corner at the next level. I think that's what he's primarily been recruited by. So two legacy kids that have been offered so far. Uh, as far as whether or not Rice should or shouldn't be offering legacy kids, I, I think it's nice at, at this point. I am kind of just deferring to, and I wrote about this. Actually, no, I have a recruiting update that's going to be posted early next week. And so that hasn't been dropped yet. But Rice is actually pretty light when it comes to their offers. They don't offer a lot of kids. And so I, I was looking it up and I'm actually going to go pull this up while we're talking because I think the stat is just mind blowing. Uh, but there are as I pull it up, where did now? Here we go. There are programs in Conference USA that have offered more individual position groups then Rice has total offers, which is wild that we're only halfway through the cycle. So here, here it is. So uh, North Texas has 83 offers. This is as of, as of this week uh, for the class of 2022. That's the up and coming class. Uh, Rice so far in the class has offered 19 kids. So North Texas has offered 83, and they have two commits. Rice has offered 19, and they have one. Uh, Marshall, who has the conference's number two class, also with a couple commits, they have handed out 190 offers. They have more offered, more, more scholarships offered at safety, corner, defensive end, offensive lineman, and wide receiver. Then Rice has total offers for the entire class. That might be the to that might be about the total number of offers that the 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 Bloomgren staff has extended his entire tenure at Rice. I think last year I think they came in somewhere in the oh I just had it up I think it was high fifties something like that and they were around there the year before so yeah you actually we might Bloomgren might not have offered 190 players yet that's very possible yeah. Uh, which is which is crazy. And and with that, you know, kind of approach, Alex Brown, the director of recruiting, he says it all the time. He says it's it's hunting with a sniper rifle and not a shotgun. And so far, you can quibble about whether or not that's the best way to go about doing this. Uh, but Rice in the past three years has three of the highest rated, high, most highly regarded recruiting classes that have ever been brought to the university. So yeah. something it, like is going right. There are certainly things that 
uh, have not been perfect things that you can legitimately criticize about this football program in the last couple of years. Uh, It's obviously been far from perfect there. You know, we're not saying that, but like if there's one thing that I think has been pretty much an unqualified success under this staff, it's been recruiting. So, you know, I understand with legacies, there's a lot of feelings wrapped up in that. And for a school like Rice, especially, you know, that is something that Rice is a school that kind of runs in families. And uh, there's a lot of tough feelings with the non-athletics admissions process with how selective Rice has gotten lately. Um, you know, when you have parents that went to Rice and a and kid wants to get applies and wants to get in and wants to go there and sometimes they don't get in and it stinks because it's it's hard to have that kind of conflict between the school that you love that but you know that's ultimately making that decision that that doesn't turn out well for your family member uh so i understand and i'm completely sympathetic to the the kind of emotional element to this um but at the same time you know it's it's recruiting it's college football like hard decisions have to get made like the the mandate on these staffs is to win football games and to do that they have to get the very best players that they can and you know at at any level with any staff you're not always going to make the correct decision every single time on those players but I think the track record of the staff so far is that they do a pretty good job at identifying talent and yeah and and I will say on the on the the personal element I'm sure that <laughs> I'm sure that there are people that are undoubtedly kind of rubbed the wrong way on that. I will say from the the conversations I've had and the folks I know over in the in the recruiting department, they're pretty pretty on top of their how they handle their business in the sense that they don't lead people on. And so they're not going to blow like you see these these schools that will offer everybody under the sun and send promotional graphics and it's great. But then the kid says, "Okay, I want to come play for X. And they're like, "Uh, well, you're like 38th on the list. So we'll get to you maybe. So on one sense that, you know, rice sticks pretty, pretty consistently to their board and it's working so far. So, yeah, I think you can. There, there's there's room to to criticize. I think I per, you know everyone would personally like to see uh, a high school quarterback come out and light the world on fire. Like that would be great. And I I know there are uh, some Rice legacies that play quarterback that would like to get a, a look. But uh, as of right now, you're not going to see anybody anybody new get offers until the the people in front of them are are you know locked in. And that has kind of helped Rice so far get the pieces they want and some of the, the the best players they've picked up is because they have the spots and they're not filled up. I think Gabe Taylor right now, is he the highest rated uh, signee Rice has ever had? I believe so, yes. I believe that's accurate. He was a signing day late addition because there were extra spots left. Which which doesn't happen if you're you're you know filling your your pockets with everybody that you can that is pretty good and and I'm sure they could have found somebody pretty good to fill his spot and not waited but it's probably going to be a good thing long term that Gabe Taylor's on campus so that that's a a long answer to say it's complicated 
and it, there's a lot of uh, feelings mixed into it. But so far, uh, I I'm not going to be upset at a program that turns in top five classes three consecutive years in their conference, especially when you're looking at Rice, which hadn't had uh, very many top five classes. The last top five class was actually 2013 in in the conference, and I'm looking back before that. Uh, they have three top five classes in their conference before Bloomgren arrived, and that is going back from 2017 to 2003 when they started rankings. So three top five classes in 15 seasons, and they have three top five classes in the last three years. Yeah, and you, you can say all you want about recruiting being inexact, it not being perfect, but... That is incorrect. I am correcting yeah. myself because I'm looking at the wrong numbers. Yeah. They, Rice has turned in three of the top five classes in program history in the past three years. That's the number I'm looking at in this sheet. Ah, there we go. Yeah, which is different, because I'm like, what, weren't they fifth last year? Yeah, they were. So um, they, have ha they have had a couple top five finishes in conference, but as far as talent on the board coming in, clarifying uh, three of the top last three years have been top five and obviously past 15 years. Seven. Or man, math is hard. Past 15 <laughs> years, two, five, two top five classes before that. And then the last three, three in a row. So the rate of hits is going up. Yeah. And, and say all you want about recruiting. Um, but in the act, it, it in you know you can miss on individuals but in the aggregate it they're usually pretty good and so if if you as a staff are turning in consistently some of the best classes in your program's history then you're probably doing something right on that front so i think they've earned the benefit of the doubt in terms of making those decisions and we're closing down two left <laughs> <laughs> uh our next one comes from alex on twitter uh, what's the best taco shop in Houston? Uh, he says Brothers Taco is his go-to. Um, Brothers is a very good one. Uh, I am ashamed to say I have not actually been um, because they open very early and are only open to like one or three, depending on the day. Uh, and apparently the line gets quite long and you have to get there very early. And I don't live that close to it. I mean, it's uh, like I live uh, just a little bit north of Rice and, and Brothers is over in Edo, I believe. So I'm not, I'm not super like it would take a concerted effort for us to get over to Brothers in a way that uh, my wife and I are are often far too lazy to put forth. Um, my go to is Taco Sierra Caliente, uh, which is a taco truck. Uh, I believe there are two of them. One of them is always uh, parked on West Alabama, right next to West Alabama Ice House. Uh, which is a, a a great space to go to and hang out and have a couple beers. Um, go to Tierra go to Tierra Caliente, get the barbacoa. Trust me, it's magnificent. See, this is good, and I I have a I have to admit I I really like food, but I'm kind of food illiterate when it comes to knowing all of the ins and outs. I'm the I'm the friend. That someone says, hey, we're going to this really great taco place. Do you want to come? And I say, yes. And I'm willing to try all these things. Uh, but I, I'm not one to go scout out. So I'm, I think as far as novel taco around town, Houston, there, there's a food truck called Oh My Gogi 
I don't know if you have oh, this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I yeah, know. yeah. So if, I think it's Korean Mexican tacos, yes, and they're they're delicious. They're amazing. Yeah. And I have um, not had it in in quite some time. So I will I will <laughs> give them a, a shout out, even though I it's probably been four or five years maybe since I've had one. And I, I'm I'm not around rice too much. Uh, at taco eating time, usually it's late in the evenings after sporting events and such, and I'm I'm tired and I go home. So I, maybe I need to better <laughs> prioritize my time to be in taco eating time. But I, when it's quick and easy, I will I will just do torchies because torchies is delicious, and I I know it's not like local Houston yada yada yada, but it is good, and that meets my criteria. Yeah. If you're if you're in the mood for a for a torchies type of place, and it's not like there aren't plenty of places that are that that model of restaurant that offer that kind of um what I sometimes refer to as white people tacos. Um and, and non-derogatorily, because like No, like it's a separate brand of taco and they're yeah, both really good. It's a different it's thing. It's Tex Mex like, and it's Mexican food, and they're not the same. Yeah. Um so like I don't know if I'm in the mood for that kind of that kind of place I like torchies better than I like I don't know I I know some people prefer like velvet taco or places like that but I I like torchies better than I like those places um if you're going for I mean you know it's Houston like there's lots of places of the various things that are going to offer tacos um for like a barbecue place that's going to have tacos um, I strongly recommend Blood Brothers, uh, which is in Bel Air, um, which is a barbecue place that is owned uh, and run by um, three three guys. Uh, two of them are brothers who are who are Chinese American, and, and uh, their friend who they grew up in a leaf with, who's Vietnamese American, uh, and and the Vietnamese guy is the pit master. So it's like uh, like Asian Asian cuisine influenced barbecue. Um, I've heard of this. I have yet to go everything is phenomenal um and they have they have that will have good tacos a lot uh, i can also throw in a recommendation for the tacos at the pit room which is on richmond uh which catered my wedding uh and good choice. received rave reviews from everyone there so yeah and, um, and i will throw out there this is a different brand but breakfast taco is probably not the same as taco just general taco yeah and there's a dip probably a different list we can go down for breakfast tacos but if you're out of ever outside of Houston and you want a really good breakfast taco, go to Bucky's. Oh yeah, I, I'm I'm being dead serious here. I'm like, I mean, go get the hippo taco. For anything that you could get at Bucky's, like it's it's so good. It's got a like they put tater tots on it, ooh. and like I think refried beans, which is not a common like breakfast taco thing. Bacon and like a, a green chili salsa. Oh, it's 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 so good. And I get so sad when I go to Bucky's and it's after 11 o'clock in the morning because like the rest of the food is, is good. Like I, I love the the like uh, the brisket and the chopped sausage sandwiches. Very good. But I'm like, honestly, I could just eat a breakfast taco at any time of the day. Yeah. So like, honorable mention. Like so my wife and I went to Austin recently for her sister's wedding and we stopped on the way up at Bucky's and we got kolaches like. Um, another good choice yeah and low-key like oh so so we stopped on the way back at um there are places in central texas like true german texas where actual kolaches where kolaches originated and where uh 
if you order the ones with meat in them, they will tell you that they are called Klobusneki and not Kalachis. Um, that Kalachis are the ones with the, the fruit and the sweet stuff. Um, but there are a couple places like right on 71 if you're headed from Houston to Austin. Uh, they're very, very famous places uh, that sell sell kolaches. Uh, is, those... is there one in Ellinger? I believe that's oh, where it's called. Yeah. Uh, Ruska's. Ruska's. There are that, two. Yeah. It's the number one rated restaurant in Ruska. There are two. I, I know this because my car recently broke down in Ellinger. And so ah, I spent, there we go. I spent yeah. a good amount of time in Ruska's and did have a kolache. And I can report it was very good. They're delicious. Um, but low key, and I ain't trying to start a fight here because I know people from those places are very defensive of their kolaches. But like I would put Bucky's kolache and I've had I've had kolaches from those places before, like on trips to and from Austin. I, I make a point to stop there. But like I would put Bucky's kolaches like up against those like they're that good. That's fighting words. This is good. We're we're alienating all of the it, food. It would be more Bucky. fighting words if Texans weren't so universally fond of Bucky's, I think. Like This is true. And I feel like Bucky's is still it's still niche enough that it's not the equivalent of like you know, I feel like if we're gonna go back to conference USA places, like I feel like the public sub is like the 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 lone like chain allowable like great food item like i think it's almost probably universally accepted that like big chains don't do like high quality food i feel like the public sub is probably the one that people like oh no this is different like bucky's is still close enough to niche that you can you can cite their food as being delicious and you're like okay yeah i get it it's it's bucky's but it's getting to where it's it's a quality production there so yeah no everything is good at bucky's God, the jerky, the beef jerky is so good. Okay, we are way far afield here and we have one more question to go, so let's get to that. (laughs) All right, last one, and this is just kind of general. What impact will COVID-19 have on the 2021 college football season? Uh, You know, as as far as it comes to the games itself, returning starters, what is the world going to look like this fall? Um. You know, I'm pretty hopeful at this point that the like in terms of the structure and flow of a college football season, that it'll look a lot like we kind of expect it to look, uh, perhaps for for better or for worse in some sense. But like, um, I mean, the big thing is so. Bill Connolly updated his returning production numbers today, and this is not even like these won't even be the final ones because he hasn't been able to update a lot of the power five rosters yet. Uh so Rice might even slip lower on this one than they already are, which is insane because I'll give you the numbers in a second. But Rice, according to Bill's numbers, returns 78% of its uh, production from last year. And that's weighted production. Um, it takes into account, you know, passing and receiving yards, rushing yards, offensive line starts, uh, and then like tackles, pass breakups, interceptions, those sorts of things on defense. Um and he weights certain categories higher just uh, based on the way he's run his models in the past, which show that returning experience in the passing game on both sides of the ball tends to matter the most. Um, so that gets weighted. So if you lose your quarterback or receivers or defensive backs, that weighs against you a little more heavily than losing, say, like defensive linemen or like or or sacks or, or your leading rusher just because the 
the numbers historically show that returning production in the passing game matters like uh, it it projects a little bit more to future success um 78 percent you know I, I don't have the numbers from previous seasons up but off the top of my head that's a pretty high number um in any given season usually you have i want to say like maybe three or four programs that are in the like 90 plus percent range and most of those are like 90 to 92 maybe there are 15 schools on this list right now who return at least 90 percent of their production from last year including toledo number one 98 percent so rice is 58th in the country and there could be power five schools that pass them up so they could go even lower uh when bill finishes updating these they're 58th in the country and 7th in CUSA with 78% of the production returning. So it's going to be weird in college football this year because just because of the the varied schedules that people played last year and because people are because teams are returning so much of their production because you know outside of a lot of school like a lot of schools at the at the g5 level returned such a huge portion of their production from last year depending on you know how much production they had that it's kind of hard to say who's going to stand out in terms of you know because normally that 78 percent will be a really really good number but how does that yeah. you know factor against say utsa which is returns 91 percent of its production from last year yeah, and this is this is the crazy part. And I'm in the midst of of working through the preview, the Conference USA and Rice previews that'll come out later this summer. And and part of that, I'm kind of working to grow it a little bit, is that returning production metric. I think it's pretty interesting. And I I have not weighted mine yet, but just kind of as a frame of reference, right? If I'm I'm taking kind of those same pieces and, and pulling them all together but by just kind of a, a less weighted average. I had a rice at about a 58% returning production last year. Uh, you look at new quarterback, new running backs, new specialists, and you know a good amount of defensive production that kind of gets you to that number. If you look forward to where they're at this year, I have them. You said it was Bill C was at 78. Mm-hmm. I have them at 72, which which basically is no blaze on defense, which is a big hit to every metric, and then no quarterback. And actually, interesting enough, you are losing a good amount of, of receptions, even though you're getting, you know, you're trading Trammel for Rosner. So there's that piece there. But so quarterback blaze and and the receptions there. If you you skip over to UTSA, and this is just just bonkers because usually if you're returning you, you know you said you know in, anywhere in the 80s like you're you're golden uh, UTSA is returning 100% of their passing attempts 99% of their rushing attempts and 88% of their receiving yards they're returning 95% of their tackles and every single player that either forced a fumble or registered an interception last year is coming back that's which means you're losing like insane. a reserve defensive back and a third string receiver who also uh, handled some return duties. So <laughs> anything that we said negative about San Antonio, y'all listen to the end. Uh, UTSA is going to be pretty loaded this year, all things considered. Yeah, yeah, they are uh, definitely one to watch. 
it's it's going to be real interesting to see because you know even when you return a lot of production you know if you're a case where it's like rice and you played five games last year well, like what does that even mean like we can't even necessarily know how much if it'll correlate the same way it does because teams played such a weird number of games and because the rosters are so in flux and now we've just had the one-time transfer rule pass which to be clear i think is a very very good thing but uh that's just gonna make this even more in flux um and for to return a lot of good production that has already done it which is a very rare (laughs) to have all of those circumstances meet at the same time um so So, yeah it's 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 weird um the number one thing I, that I will be watching is like how, you know, in, in terms of that is is how does the way returning production, how, how does that influence stack up and how, how do, uh, you know, how, how does that change this year from, from a normal year? And I, I have one, not even on the production standpoint, but one just hope maybe not expectation, but hope for this season is I do not want to be in a press box on a Saturday and not watch a football game. That is, that is my (laughs) one, my one goal is that these games get played. And I, 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 if I'm spitballing right now, maybe I'm still shell shocked. We're not going to have a hundred percent of games played this year. Like something's going to come up. Um, and maybe that's just shell shocked from getting through. Like I think the the play rate was probably around, uh, probably nationally like two two thirds, or, or maybe that even higher right. yeah. seventy seventy five percent or something like that. I know Conference USA uh, was much lower on, on those numbers, so we, we will be better than that. We'll probably still have a couple games um, for one reason or another. That's 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 my outlook now. Ask me again in four months. <laughs> I don't, nobody knows, but yeah, that would be the hope. I think Rice is, is decently well positioned. I think there are obviously some schools, uh, uh, just uh, their peers in Conference USA, that did a, a lot worse and some that, that did a lot better. But uh, when I'm just kind of looking at, at a rough, just kind of average, and, and this will be in, in the preview to look forward to of what kind of like what rough numbers are coming back kind of the conference USA average for, for most statistical groupings is probably around some, somewhere between 60 and 70%. So if you are above that threshold in any particular measure by kind of what I'm looking at, you're doing pretty good. So rice is basically there and receiving They're basic. They're well above and rushing. You got Kalen Griffin, uh, a huge part of that obviously coming back. And then defense, they're still, even with Blaze, uh, well above special teams. They're, they're well above. They got most everybody coming back. It's just the quarterback. And we, we've been here before. So. Yeah, wow. The... <laughs> Didn't we start the episode with this? Yeah, same question every year. But, uh, yeah, there we go. Um, so, yeah, I think that's it for us tonight. Uh, thanks for sticking with us. Hopefully we got some... Uh, Got some questions out. Got some questions answered. Didn't uh, make too many people angry. Hopefully, we got you some uh, good food recommendations if you're here in Houston. And uh, yeah, hope you had fun. Rice rice fight. fight. Yeah.
This show was edited and produced by Carter Spires. It features music from Joseph McDade.